This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Everybody wants to be a hero until it's time to be a hero. These words were given to me from one of the guys in my discipleship group as he journaled this passage. It's a motto uttered by Marines, and it fits well with our reading today, because this chapter reminds us that following Jesus often demands of us difficult obedience that will require courage and faith. All of us have had those moments in our lives where we become acutely aware that everything that we have experienced, whether it be good or bad, has led us to this moment, and we can't help but think that the decision that we make at this critical juncture will have repercussions for generations to come. Such was the case with Esther in Esther chapter 4. Now this very familiar passage of scripture reminds us of the power of obedience, the courage that it takes to walk by faith, and the determination to do the right thing. Esther chapter 4 verse 14 reads, If you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place, but you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows, perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther chapter 4 opens with the lament of Mordecai as he mourns the fate of the Jews. We learned yesterday of a feud between a man named Haman and Esther's uncle, a man named Mordecai. Haman was the descendant of Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and Mordecai was a descendant of King Saul, and their confrontation had now come to an ugly conclusion. As we learned yesterday, generations earlier, Mordecai's eighth grandfather, King Saul, had lost the kingdom because of his disobedience to God in not utterly annihilating all of the Amalekite people. These people had incurred the wrath of God after afflicting God's people as they fled from Egypt. Moses left express instructions as he died to destroy them upon entering the land of promise. That directive was to be carried out by King Saul after Samuel came to him and instructed him to carry out the sentence. In a culture where public shame was the fiercest rebuke, Saul's partial obedience in wiping out the people, and instead sparing some of them, including Agag the king, left him utterly ashamed. He had lost the entire kingdom because of his disobedience. Now Agag's descendant, Haman, was parading around Persia, demanding that everyone pay homage to him under the king's royal authority, and Mordecai just can't bring himself to placate the haughty official and instead, at least politely, refuses. This rejection incites Haman, whose name means anger or rage, and he's going to live up to his billing, because he not only seeks to kill Mordecai, but now the entire race of the Jews. These Jews should have been returning to the land of promise to rebuild after God's divine invitation to come home. 
but their cushy existence in Persia had precluded them from obeying God. Now that comfort was being threatened because of Mordecai's actions. To make matters worse, Mordecai had not only unwittingly endangered the people of God through his refusal to bow to Haman, but it had threatened his pride and joy, Esther, and her life as well. Can you imagine what kind of guilt Mordecai must have endured? He had only been trying to be a good Jew, true to his heritage, in a foreign land. But now those very actions had not only incited the probable genocide of his people, but the murder of his own niece, whom he clearly loved dearly. The Jewish people are all in a state of mourning and grief over the plot to annihilate all of them. Phrases like crying loudly and bitterly, mourning, weeping, lamenting, formal mourning with sackcloth and ashes, they all dominate the headlines of chapter 4. Esther and Mordecai both realize the only way to stop the inevitable massacre of God's people is for her to approach the king and plead for their lives. This action, though, will not only reveal her identity as a Jew, but the very act itself could get her killed. After the king deposed Queen Vashti for not coming when summoned, one can only imagine what might have happened if the queen now appears unannounced. Unless the king grants her the royal scepter, she will be the first of many Jews to lose their lives in the days ahead. Mordecai reminds her that God has perhaps put her into this place for this very reason. Now mind you, Esther did not sign up for all this. She wasn't angling to become queen. No, she had become queen quite accidentally. But it seemed her good fortune had now evaporated under the heat of the king's proclamation and all the serendipitous occurrences that had so blissfully followed her now seemed only to spell her doom. Mordecai wonders aloud if this very moment was the inevitable reality toward which all of these events had culminated. God had quite uniquely put Esther in this spot, and her fear could spell their doom, while her courage might save a nation alive. Mordecai realizes that the victory of God's people is not at stake here, for he says that God can bring it from another place. But he does fear that Esther's life and her family name would be destroyed in the aftermath. You see, what is at stake here is not the annihilation of God's people, but the queen's involvement in God's deliverance. Now this is a fascinating development because of all of this has put the queen in quite a precarious situation, one with very few options. After fasting and praying, Esther entrusts her fate and the fate of her people to the hands of the holy God who had protected them and promoted her. Her response to Mordecai is at once noble while being quite aware of the consequence of her decision. She says, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my fellow servants will fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The resignation in her voice and her determination and courage to do the right thing, regardless of the consequences, invokes memories of three Hebrew children standing before Nebuchadnezzar in a fire generations earlier. 
Interestingly enough, her greatest fear became her most significant opportunity to do the most good. When she gained favor in his eyes, what could have precipitated her death had instead become her greatest opportunity. Now there are several things here to keep in mind as we look to apply these truths. When hope seems lost and hard times come, rest assured God has already thought of a way of deliverance for his people. Now that deliverance will often call us to difficult obedience. It will cause us to overcome our fears and have to do the right thing. It will cause us to act in faith. But when we face difficulty, we don't have to lose hope because God has already planted the way of deliverance where it is needed. We just need to walk in obedience and trust God with the results. Secondly, it could be that the very difficulty that God has placed us in could also expose us to our life's calling and purpose. We complain so much about the pain and the difficulty in our life, and we lose hope, fearing the worst as these Jews did. But this may be the very platform upon which God means to reveal our purpose to us, just as he did with Esther. This perilous moment was the stage where God revealed her calling. And it could be that on the other side of the greatest fear in our lives is our most extraordinary calling and opportunity. Listen, it happened with Jonah, it happened with Moses, it happened with Elijah, and it could happen with us. God places us in areas of influence to leverage that influence toward his purposes in the world. God exalts for his own purposes, and if God places us in an area of leadership, we need to understand that we are accountable for how we leverage that for God's purposes. Here Mordecai is encouraging Esther to understand that God has put her there for this purpose. Fourthly, we need to understand as Mordecai did that the plans of God will not be thwarted, and what's at stake is not God's deliverance but our involvement with those plans. God's designs are not at risk of failing if we do not rescue them, but our engagement with God's divine purposes for our lives are in grave danger if we fail to obey. Now, this is a distinction that we must remember, because it is far worse to be passed over when God has brought you to this moment to use you as an instrument in his deliverance while you sit paralyzed in fear. What is at stake is not God's plans, but your purpose, and that is what is the issue. Number five, acting on that calling will often require courage and dependence on God. Esther was risking her life going before the king, so she implores the people to fast and pray with her in advance of her action. Acting on God's calling in our lives will often require of us an act of divine courage and a deep dependence upon God. We have to understand that we cannot withstand these things in our ability, but we are dependent upon God's leadership and his wisdom and his strength for the courage to do what he has called us to do. Finally, notice that Esther did not let her fear stop her. Her greatest fear would become her people's greatest hope. The same could be true in our lives. Will we allow our fear at the moment to stop us from the very opportunity that all the events of this moment have led us to? Will we stop short of doing something about the injustice or the opportunities around us? 
or will we be paralyzed with fear? The greatest opportunity lies behind the greatest fears, and her greatest fear would be the very thing that would save God's people. What if one individual act of obedience in our lives would serve to liberate a people from their bondage? Would we have the courage to overcome our fears and step out so that they could be saved? So God, help us to see your purposes in the middle of our pain. Give us insight into seeing you and your plans revealed, even through tears. Thank you that you have already made arrangements for rescue before we even enter difficulty. And please help us to understand that we are accountable for the leadership to which you have called us. And give us the courage and dependence to do what you have called us to do by walking in obedience in a way that is pleasing to you. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.